Max Verstappen is a two-time Formula One champion. Chaotic scenes in Suzuka overshadowed what should have been a celebration for Verstappen and Red Bull as he won the championship with four races remaining, the most since Sebastian Vettel in 2011. Confusion with points and shock over a tractor on track left celebrations muted. Plus, we'll discuss what Red Bull's minor budget cap breach really means. All this and more on Unlapped. Whoa, 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 hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Like, let's roll back a bit here. What? What do you think that they'll eat if they're going to have to rein in their catering spending? Again, this is me ranting about the FAA, Katie. Sorry, just jump in if you want. And just check it off. Um, yeah, and say, finally, we've actually got something else to talk about. You know, shame on me for doing that. I should have checked Google Maps beforehand. Welcome to Unlapped, an ESPN F1 show. I'm Katie George. No Lawrence Edmondson. He's still in Japan. We decided we'd give him a day off. But Nate Saunders joins me now from America. Is that right? Are you finally stateside? I am indeed. I'm in a hotel just down the road from the ESPN campus in Bristol, Connecticut. So, um, yeah, I think this is the first time I've been on the same time zone as you for one of these. Finally, podcasts. thank you. Yeah. I appreciate and, and you. If Lawrence had joined, he'd have been still on Japan time. So he would have been sort of early hours of tomorrow, I think, uh, how that works out. So, yeah, we I think giving him the day off is, is fair. But it means it means the burden falls to me because there's, there's a load to talk about from that race. There, so um, we'll jump on into it. There's but, a but, yeah, lot to talk so, like about. Like you said, so much, so much. Just in the, in the course of sort of 72 hours, three really big news stories, all kind of really different. You know, one's a championship, one, one's safety, et cetera. So, yeah, um, I don't know where to start, Katie. So I guess, I, I guess I'll let you get the ball rolling. Well, we're going to start with reminding people that if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment of what you want to hear more of, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, make sure you hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Let's just start with the start of Suzuka, and we'll work our way forward throughout the weekend. Does that sound fair to you? Yeah, good idea. I think it's the okay. easiest way to do that. So obviously it was unbelievably rainy, which caused a lot of chaos. And there was confusion that led to, are we going for half points here? Are we going to get full points as drivers were in the thick of it because things were red flagged early on? Just what did you think of what ensued because of the rain and how the FIA handled it? Yeah, it, it created quite a confusing situation. So one of the quirks of Suzuka is that the later in the year it is, the more likely it is that there's heavy rain like that. There's been talks, um, Andrew Benson from the BBC tweeted that F1's actually been trying to get Japan to move up to April in the schedule, but the promoters don't, don't actually want that. They like where they are in there. And it used to be kind of a late September race, but if you drop into October, that's you know, the beginning of kind of the monsoon season. And um, the last race I think that was in October was 2014, which obviously is when Joel Bianchi had his, you know, his, his huge accident, which... Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about later because it was relevant to what happened, obviously, with Gasly. Um, so it created the situation, and everyone will remember the Belgian Grand Prix last year, that really farcical situation where you know everybody got half points, but they didn't actually complete a racing lap. So at the start of the year, to kind of stop that happening again, the rules were rewritten that said, you know, um, in, in the case of a, a similar race to Belgium, if 25% or fewer laps are created, here are the points that you'll get. If it's 25 to 50%, Laps are um, completed, you'll get these points. Obviously, these are scaling up 50 to 75%, you'll get these points. And then if it's over 75, full points are awarded. So everyone thought that's, that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, mm. quite easy to work out. But sure. crucially, when th those rules were, were rewritten and actually put into the regulations, a clause was left in there from the previous regulations, which was that this only, this only counts 
if the race is red flagged and cannot be resumed again. So you had this weird situation where we were all kind of thinking, oh, okay, well, the championship's going to Austin. And that really dramatic final corner moment, no one really realized that was for the, you know, effectively for the championship when Leclerc and Perez were fighting. Even the commentators, you know, if, if you if you listen to the world feed, you know, David Croft and Jensen Button weren't saying, oh, this is for the world championship because they didn't know. It was only when Verstappen crossed the line, somebody in you know, and F1 obviously worked out, hang on, this is a full points race and Leclerc's just dropped to third, which was the permutation that Max needed. You know, if, if it was Perez second and Leclerc third, then it didn't matter they didn't have the fastest lap. And it was just a weird situation because you know, we were all there like, well, no, it goes on to Austin, right? Leclerc got one point, you know, he's within it by a point. You know, it would have been a situation where Max just needed to finish 10th. And so everyone was looking at the regulations again. And to, I was I was convinced that, that, that Johnny Herbert had got it wrong on the podium when he said you've won the championship. I thought, no, I don't think that's the case. And you saw Max's reaction as well. He was like, no, I don't think I'm the champ. You know, in that cool down room, <laughs> he was like, oh, am I? Which was just really funny. Um, and it's a bit of a shame because, you know, Verstappen's had such a dominant season. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was a real anticlimactic moment for that. And he obviously deserved, he deserved that big moment, I think. Um, not that it doesn't matter either way. You know, he's a two-time world champion. I'm sure that won't be something that tainted the experience. But as a fan watching it, it was such a dominant performance from him as well. He just disappeared into the distance. It was kind of his season in a nutshell, wasn't it, really? Like, he was just... On a different level, you barely saw him all race because it was like, well, why is TV director is not going to show Max because he's just driving on his own? So yeah, it was it was confusing, and I think what's happened is they've they've released the rule. I remember when we read it, we you know at the start of the year it didn't have that clause in. It's obviously been put back in there, not maliciously, but I think it's just been kept in from the original wording of the regulations. So you had this kind of bizarre situation where actually that was correct. You know, it wasn't like they inc- incorrectly applied the rules in that state, but everyone watching was like, oh, I didn't realize that was that was it. So it was kind of a delayed realization that the rules were what they were. Um, and I suppose that's the issue, isn't it? When you when you put things into writing, sometimes the wording of stuff is is, is key, even if you don't think about it. So a few of the team principals said, you know, the the um, the intention of the rule change was probably good, but they you know they need to take that bit out because the reason that was brought in was because obviously that wasn't a full race that was completed. It was a much shortened race. And, you know, back the, the desire was that even if you get a race that's finished. If you don't complete a full slate of laps, is it fair to give out four points? Because four points. yeah, because with that with that clause in there, had they only completed ten laps, but they had gone red flag, and then and then resumed the race and finished under that under that stipulation, that would have been four points handed out because of that clause. You know, only if the race is suspended and cannot resume will these points be given out. So, you know, had Verstappen won the championship and had only completed seven laps, people would have said that's not really that's not right. It would have been again like Belgium, even though they were racing laps. You should say well. You know, the points should be scaled down. So that's really where that, that came from. But I think, again, like, like with all things FIA and F1, you know, they'll make that tweak in the off-season. You know, there'll probably be something else in the wedding of another rule that we talk about next year. Well, as you mentioned, you know, he wins the title thanks to, you know, Sergio Perez being elevated to second, you know, just moments after the race. You know, Charles Leclerc ran wide at the final corner defending from Perez, which forced Perez wide as they race through the finish line. So that earned Charles Leclerc a five-second penalty in the process. He drops to third, and therefore Max Verstappen is now the world champion. I'm just curious, based on what we saw a week ago in Singapore, we waited hours for Mm. a result to be finalized. And in this instance, we only waited, what, a matter of a couple of minutes? What, What did you make of just the difference we saw in, you know, one week in Singapore as compared to, you know, fast forwarding to Japan? 
Yeah, it's it's a really big one, isn't it? And I think for, for fans watching, they do wonder that. They think, why was it that, you know, when one... Inc- and, and they were completely different incidents as well. So that's that's the sure. reason, you know, one of them, they wanted to talk to Perez. And the Clerks one, I think, was a bit more cut and dry. Like, he clearly ran Perez wide. Whereas I think with the safety car incident, their argument was we wanted to, you know, was he struggling with the conditions? What was what was happening? Um, but I think from a, from, a, from a sporting point of view, you're absolutely right. Like, it, it's crazy that one week we didn't even know who the winner was going to be. And the next week they're like, yeah, no... Five second penalty, and and Mattia Bonotto, Ferrari team boss, said the same thing. He said, "Look, you know, how is that? How is that possible?" So, um, I don't think there was anything malicious behind the timing of it because it was an incident that was that was kind of open and shut. But from a perspective point of view, I don't think it it's great, and it, it kind of re- reiterates what we talked about last week that needs to be better transparency about those things and just a bit more kind of speed, consistency. yeah, consistency in it. Because if if someone had just sat down and the, the only two F one races they'd ever watched was Singapore <laughs> and then Japan, they'd, they'd say, "Well, hang on a minute, what like?" How does that work? How 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 come is 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 Perez does Perez get special treatment? You know, does Red Bull get special treatment? And fans would think that you know because in those two instances it looks like that's happened. I don't think that's the case. I think you know, it's different. But if 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 you're not a Red Bull fan, you're like, well, that's just ridiculous. They did it because it won Max the championship. I think one word that you mentioned that is so spot on is anticlimactic. Like mm-hmm. the way that it went down. Obviously, there wasn't a whole lot of excitement in celebration for Max just because of the confusion, yes, but also they don't march out the world champion trophy. So I just wanted to carve yes. out a little bit of time and see if you wanted to go on a rant <laughs> again about I why do. that they should. When somebody wins it in that moment with that race, no matter how many races we have remaining, we should have a celebration for that person. Yeah, and I, I got back on my soapbox and actually wrote a piece for this for ESPN.com uh, on Sunday. I, I had it prepared a, a few weeks ago. I was like, so I knew Max was going to win. Uh, and I knew that this would be the case. Um, but so the reason, but again, so the Perez example from Singapore is a really good one about this. So the reason that the FIA will give Max his trophy at the end of the season at this very kind of glitzy, but ultimately quite sterile environment, you know, this gala uh, in Paris, he's, you know, he'll be, he'll be dressed in a smart suit. He'll get trophies with like the, the winner of the World Rally Championship and all the other indie, uh, FIA championships. Um, but by then, the, the you know the thrill of the moment has gone, and um, the reason that that happens is because the FIA says, well, a, a protest could change the outcome of the championship. Which, to be fair, since last year, Mercedes only dropped their appeal into Abu Dhabi about an hour before Max got that trophy. So there is precedent there. But if you compare it to what happened with Perez, again, it's weird that the FIA's approach to a race is no, do the podium and then go to the stewards afterwards. But if you follow the same logic as the championship, you should say, all right, well. Let's do the stewards first, then give the trophy for winning the race. And yet when it comes to championship, they're like, we'll get the protests out of the way if there are any, then give you the championship. So I think it's a shame as well because the F1, the F1 trophy is a really great trophy. But mo- I don't think, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you, Katie, would you, would you be able to think of it off the top of your head if, you, if someone said, what's the world trophy, F1 trophy look like? And it's so yeah. strange, you know, when, when you compare that to everything else in sports, you know, Stanley Cup, Super Bowl. I mean, every single championship I can think of, you think of, the winner holding the trophy and you can picture the trophy in your head. What race is it? I'm blanking with the gorilla. Like that's more iconic to me yeah. than the, the, the French Grand Prix. Yeah. Yes. The French Grand Prix trophy, I think is more iconic. Absolutely. And the funny thing with the, the F1 trophy is because I, I remember I said a couple of years ago, Oh, it's nowhere to be seen. And someone who worked at F1 sent me a tweet of like, no, it's here. And it was like a little picture of them all on the grid and it was like at the front of the grid for like a second and that happened in japan the trophy was there it was at the front of the grid and then mm-hmm. max wins it and it's suddenly like okay well the trophy it's like where's the trophy gone <laughs> it's just not there so i find that so strange and um think about think about all the the moments with the lombardi trophy or the stanley cup 
Yeah. And it, I know that those are team sports, but obviously you get those iconic moments with the drivers after they win a race with their team engineers, with everybody in the mechanics from the garage. Like you get those moments and we see those incredible celebrations, allow them to enjoy it right then and there when he has accomplished yeah. an incredible feat and won his second world champion. I just, I think that they miss out on a moment by not doing that. Absolutely. And I think if you ask most fans of a sporting team or individual, and you say, what's the, you know, what stands in your head? I mean, for British fans, English fans of, of, of soccer, like the oh, yeah. Bobby Moore, when England won the World Cup in 1966, I mean, that's the most famous image in football. He's holding the trophy and he's on the shoulders of his teammates. You've got that John Elway moment where he's kind of holding it up finally. And the great thing with the Lombardi trophy is when you see it getting passed around, it's got everyone's fingertips on it. It's smudged. It's just been passed around <laughs> so and it much. looks, yeah. And everyone's just grabbing it and they're looking at it and they're like, they're kissing it. They're hugging it. They're showing their kids. And it's like you say, that outpouring of emotion. And they, there still was that emotion there with F1, but it's such an easy image they could have. And actually in the images of Max celebrating, he's got the Japanese Grand Prix trophy with him. So anyone seeing that might be like, oh, well, that must be the F1 trophy. Um, and that was a nice trophy in itself. But yeah, just just weird. That it's weird. It's a weird thing. And I think until they fix it every year, I'm going to have an easy an easy rant up my sleeve about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, obviously, we we took you through the confusion that was um, the point situation, and obviously Max finally ultimately winning uh, his second world championship. Prior to that, though, I think that the celebrations were also muted because of a scary, scary incident that happened on track and involved Pierre Gasly um, with a tractor or a crane that was actually on the track trying to remove something, but maybe was out there uh, unknown to the FIA. And Pierre Gasly had really brushed with fate or death. Mm. It was so unbelievably close. Obviously, the conditions, as we mentioned, were terrible at that point in time when the race had just started because it was so rainy, so visibility was an issue. Just take us through kind of the sequence of events there, Nate, and and what's going to happen next. And if the FIA is actually investigating why that crane was on track at that time. Yeah, so the, the sequence of events is an important thing when you look at F1 incidents like this, because even when you look at the Giulbianchi crash, if the people listening who aren't aware exactly how that went down, Giulbianchi spun off the track in um, Suzuka in 2014 under a safety car went head on into a into a recovery vehicle, exactly the same thing that was on track on Sunday. And there was about five, six things that happened in the lead up to that that on their own probably wouldn't have led to anything, you know, but when you put them all together, you know, rain, the, the placement of the, the circuit, the fact that Bianchi and all the drivers at the time, you know, weren't st- you know, at that point there was no virtual safety car. So, you know, that's where that's what prompted the virtual safety car to come in. This Gasly one's exactly the same. You know, science spun off on lap one, um, bit of chaos on that first lap, which was actually, you know, which is why wet races are so good because you get that kind of chaos at the beginning mm-hmm. safety car comes out and gasly was one of the guys caught up in that instance so he pits quite early because he had basically half of a, an advertised advertisement hoarding stuck on the front of his car which was a great image um to see nice. he pits and then one of the things that i think was alarming from this was the fact that even though the safety guys picked up the rest of the pack and these are horrible conditions you know it's raining and the the images you see on on the TV cameras are always so misleading because it looks like they have great visibility, but that camera is kind of hoisted up above the cockpit. The drivers have so little visibility compared to that. Um, and even, in, even on those images, you couldn't really see the crane until quite late. No. What Gasly starts doing then is he's driving fast to catch up with the pack, which isn't unusual. You know, people do that usually, you know, if you're, if you're a bit back problem was this, this recovery vehicle for science's car had not just come onto the side of the road. It was right on the side of the racing line. And, 
all the eight, all, all the other cars in front of Gasly went past this under the safety car, and a bunch of them said, "I didn't, I can't believe there's a tractor there. I didn't see it. You know, they were going mm-hmm. slowly." And what was so scary for them was the reason science had gone off there. He he just aquaplaned off the circuit. He hadn't, you know, he he wasn't. It wasn't like he'd gone too fast or whatever. The, the conditions there were such that you could easily lose the car, and once you start aquaplaning, you can't stop where you're sliding. And then Gasly comes past at much faster speed. And luckily, I mean, he said afterwards, he said, I was about two meters away from being killed. And you see the replay and it's terrifying, isn't it? Because he, you know, it passes right mm. to his left. Um, sorry, on his left, on his left hand side. Um, and he, he said the same thing. He said he couldn't slam the brakes on because of the conditions he had to, you know, had to ease up and just hope that his car kept control. So there's a lot of things here that you kind of have to unpack immediately. I mean, Gasly got, a, um, you know, a time penalty and a penalty points afterwards of going too fast, which he admitted afterwards he was in the conditions. Um, and a, a lot of people said, oh, the FAA is blaming Gasly. And that wasn't quite the case. He shouldn't have been driving at that speed. You know, there was you know safety car signs, but also the red, the red flags had just come out just before he came to that point. However, what's also true as well is that there's never any justifiable reason that a recovery vehicle should be on the track there, especially as, A, the conditions were what they were. The drivers weren't aware that was the case. I mean, even if they had been, they'd all been saying, we'll get, you know, especially at Suzuka in the conditions, the same conditions or similar conditions to what, to, to, to where Bianchi's accident happened. You'd have thought of all places, this is, would have, yeah, this would have been where there'd been some common sense. And what's interesting as well is that I think, so the, the FIA are now doing a thorough investigation into this, but I think that the biggest question is, it has to, it has to be who's to be held accountable for this, because in the regulations, it clearly states the only, the only reason a, a vehicle can go on track like that is with the permission of race control and the race director. So either there's one of two things that's happened here. Either um, Eduardo Freitas, who's who was the race director for this race, has said go on the racetrack in those conditions, or there's some confusion somehow, or the marshals have put the have put the track, you know, the truck on the track in the way they did. I don't think that the latter sounds quite unlikely, just because these you know these are trained marshals, they know what the rules are. They wouldn't do something without express permission from from the FIA. So it's it's another moment where a race director in F1 is under you know, real scrutiny, I think, for a decision made. And look, we, we talked kind of over and over again about what happened with Michael Massey last year. Um, but this is a much different one. You know, I think that, yes. again, if, if, if he has made that decision, he's not put it out there thinking, oh, this, will, you know, this is risky, whatever. But it's just not taking into account human factors and the fact that clearly in that situation. And, and Gasly made the point after he said, he said, I could have died for the sake of one minute. And what he meant by that was the race director by that point knew it was a safety car, but also he knew that it was likely going to be a red flag. So it's like, why are you putting the tractor on the track? Just knowing in, the driver is going to be in the pits very soon. And that's not like science, is, science was out of his car. You know, he didn't need to be extracted from it. It's not like you have to get that out. So Gasly said, and, you know, and, and we're so lucky. Christian Horner said everyone got lucky and he was so right. You know, and it would have been, I mean, yeah, it, it it's still a horrible you know, thing that happened, but just imagine if, you know, God yeah, forbid something bad had happened. It, for, for what it was, it would have just been, you know, you, you wouldn't have been able to believe that it had gone down. So F1 got away with one, but yeah, a huge kind of safety issue going forward. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. 
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. I'm curious. Everything's recorded, obviously, in communications with the drivers and their teams. Yeah. In the control room for FIA and the race director, is all of that communication recorded with Marshall. So I'm just wondering, can they go back and was there miscommunication? Marshall didn't quite understand when they needed to go out or, you know, did he not realize where Gasly was on the track? And I know he's got so much that he's managing all at the same time and so many decisions that are coming at him quickly. He's almost like an air traffic controller. And I know yeah. that 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 job is so ungodly stressful. I'm just wondering, you know, did something slip through the cracks where he didn't quite realize where Pierre was at that moment in time or if there was just some kind of miscommunication between the two. And if that is in fact recorded and will be easy to figure out. Yeah. I mean, all of those things will be, will be um, easily accessible. And okay. I think one of the things that is a really interesting point that you make, because one of the reasons when Massey was replaced by Freitas and, um, and uh, Wittich, who are the two guys that came in mm-hmm. after him, um, the idea was we're going to take the stress of this job away from one person, a guy called Herbie Blash, came in to help. He used to work with Charlie Whiting, who was the revered race director before Massey. And his Massey, sorry, uh, Whiting's sudden death a few years ago um, basically brought Massey, kind of elevated into the job probably before he was kind of ready for that role. Okay. Um, so Blash has been brought back in to kind of help there. But if that is the case, if, if you know, he's made decisions and the situation's got away from him, then again, you've got to say, well, that those changes that you made to the FAA race director structure haven't worked. I think one thing that I do sometimes wonder is there's such a it's such a formulaic thing the FIA and sometimes for 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 good reason sometimes it, it comes across really badly but in those situations the FIA will they'll follow the procedure to the letter it's okay a car's gone off yellow flags or safety car and then it's like okay recovery vehicle let's go get it if you think a few races back when Ricardo stopped during the Italian Grand Prix a recovery vehicle came back onto the track there and one of the reasons that the race finished under red flag was the fact that the, the, the recovery vehicle actually couldn't get Ricardo's car off the circuit in time. We had that silly situation where you know, the race just finished under, the, under the, um, the safety car. So it seems like maybe they've followed the, le- the procedures of the letter. And I think if you take all the humanity out of that position, if you think, you know, again, like I said, with Suzuka, the, the, the emotion of that circuit and just the knowledge of, okay, it's raining. Let's make sure nothing goes out on the racetrack until all these guys are back in the garage, or they're the other side of the circuit. We'll bunch them up behind the safety car. Because one thing people forget about the safety car is it's not just a, a case of let's stop the race and restart it. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons you put everyone behind the safety car is you put all the all the cars in one part of the racetrack, and then marshals the other end of the circuit. Say, right, we've got a minute before the cars come back. We can we can work on the car. And people sometimes overlook that that's actually you know the, one of the reasons behind the safety car. So I don't know. I think that it, it just seems they, they were trying to do everything to the letter, but, you know, in a in a time order that you know they they were acting like they didn't have the time they did have they had they had so much time and they kind of went through it but without seeing that report I, I couldn't say for sure but I think that's one of the things that needs to come out of the report is was it just a case of somebody following something you know 
too closely to the rule book. And yeah. if that is the case, I think you need the race directors need to be able to say, okay, well, we need some common sense is needed in this situation. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, the FIA are effectively investi- investigating their own race director again. Um, so we'll see what comes out of it because that's never, it's not always the best <laughs> look, is it? When a governing body is like, right, we're going to investigate. And the guy who made the decision is probably a guy who works for us. Oh, sorry, well, not probably is a guy who works for us. So we'll see, we'll see what comes out of that. And, you know, the FIA's track record with these things, you know, people weren't happy with the way the Massey investigation came out and stuff. So we'll see what happens. But they need to they, they need to be brutally honest with themselves because I don't want to compare the two things, but if you, you know, Massey made a mistake in the heat of the moment last year, but this could have cost a the driver their life, which to me is way more important than a championship and a trophy or whatever. Absolutely. This This is, you know, this is on a different level. So they need to be brutally honest with the facts and um, just lay them out as they happen. Never should have happened, but certainly so thankful that Pierre Gasly is okay. And we'll obviously wait for the findings of that investigation. A lot of investigations going on all at the same time. uh, Yeah, they're keeping themselves busy, aren't they, the FIA at the moment? (laughs) They are. They are. Uh, They're making their money uh, for better or worse at this point in time. So let's discuss the findings um, that were released on Monday. FIA, they confirmed that Red Bull breached the sport's cost cap in 2021, uh, but they have yet to decide on the team's punishment moving forward. So Red Bull committed a procedural breach and a minor overspend in 2021, meaning that uh, the number was up to 5% of the $145 million cap last year. I am not a mathematician by any means, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but 5% of 145 mil, that's like just over $7 million extra is deemed a minor overspend. So it was a document you and Lawrence were certainly waiting for the release of. You finally got to read it. What did you make of the findings and just take us through what it exactly means? So the document, I think, was a bit frustrating in the sense that one of the things people have been frustrated about with the FIA is a lack of transparency. And I think exactly that you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, what exactly constitutes a minor under, uh, sorry, a minor versus a major overspend. Red Bull, it said that that's what they've done, but there was no figure attached to it. And we were kind of hoping that there'd be some context behind what the minor kind of overspend has been. And to be honest, this is following a, a very kind of, you know, audits are never that fun to talk about, but it is following that that kind of process of if someone gets audited, we come back and say, this is a discrepancy. And now the mm-hmm. onus is on Red Bull to come back and say, okay, well, here's what we think the discrepancy is, et cetera. Um, so it's it's a strange one, and you know I was told by a few people that you know these these um, these overspends could be could be you know based on things like catering and staff costs and stuff like that. But it's a weird one because if you've if you've overspent on those if if those are the things that are pushing you over the budget, then surely you've the reason you're at that point is because your budget on the other things had pushed you there. So it's a it's a strange mm-hmm. thing if you're suddenly saying it's this or it's that. Because again, and this comes back to, I mentioned about the optics of F1 and the optics of penalties, you know, between Perez and Leclerc. I'd say 98% of people watching Formula One aren't going to care where that money has come from. They're going to see two things. A, there's a budget cap and B, Red Bull overspent. Actually three things, because then C, Max Verstappen won a championship last year by an absolutely tiny margin. He won it on the final lap. You know, those two teams were so close all year and... I mean, Lewis Hamilton said during the Japanese Grand Prix weekend in the build-up, he said, if we'd had one £500,000 upgrade during a certain point in the season, we would have won the championship because it would have just pushed us over the edge. But we didn't bring it because we said, well, we can't afford to within the within the regs. So 
there's a huge point here, and I think it will dominate the kind of the news cycle leading up to the US Grand Prix, especially now Verstappen's won the championship. You know, there's nothing really else to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for context for people listening who wonder what the budget ca- cap is about, it's obviously it's followed a, a US sports example. Um, it was 140 million last year. Sorry, this year, last year was 145 million. It scales scales itself down every year for the first few seasons. Um, and that was basically it was A to bring costs down, but it was B to kind of level up the playing field because Be more it parity. Brought, yeah, it brings guys like Red Bull and Mercedes down to 140. And even though teams like Haas and Williams aren't spending 140 million a year, it means the gap between the top of their budget and the top of Red Bull's budget is no longer, you know, 100 million. It might be 30 million. And it's still a big gap, but it means that there's less of a less of a disparity. So there's a huge there's a huge talking point here, you know, the integrity of the championship, the integrity of the budget cap, and we don't know yet what punishments they'll hand out. And um I mean from a from a US you, you followed US sports way closer than I ever have. You would I assume think budget cap equals big penalty or at least a big consequential penalty. Cause that seems to be what most people said on Twitter when I saw, um, you know, the news, that news coming yesterday. Well, I think it's going to be interesting, right? Because how hefty the penalty is, I think is going to thwart people from doing it in the mm. future. Right. So if it's a hefty penalty, I think everybody's going to look and say, oh, wow, that's what happened to Red Bull. It's an example moving forward. We can't touch it. We can't even think to overspend in the future. But if it's a public reprimand and a slap on the wrist, you might have teams in future years say, well, maybe it's worth it if it results in a world championship that's not going to be taken away or a constructors championship that's not going to be taken away. You know, it is worth it to push the envelope and maybe overspend. I do think it's important to mention that Red Bull – you know, responded to the announcement uh, with yeah, following right. statement. They they said, we note the findings by the FIA of minor overspend breaches of the financial regulation, regulations with surprise and disappointment. Our 2021 submission was below the cost cap limit. So we need to carefully review the FIA's findings as our core belief remains that the relevant costs are under the 2021 cost cap amount. I do just want to point out, I don't think any team would rightfully submit um a finding that would be above the cost cap. So. Well, this is it, isn't it? Is that is that you know all these teams have paid a lot of accountants. You know, I think it's a great time to be an accountant at the moment in oh, yeah. you know the Formula One sphere because this has suddenly become. I think Lawrence put it brilliantly on the last pod. He said, "There's a danger of becoming an accountancy championship rather than a, a technical championship." Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I think I think that's they're not going to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, we were over the over the cap." We because... submitted our report and we were above. So. Yeah, sorry guys, it's been six months and we knew Not the whole us. time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, whoops. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. And what's, I mean, one of one of the things here that is kind of frustrating from a from a point of knowing what comes next is the regulations have, I think, been kept intentionally vague here by the FIA. And I don't think, I don't mean that as a criticism as such, because they have. Here's what happens for a minor breach. Here's what happens for a major breach. And minor breach, like you mentioned, there could be a reprimand, there could be a fine, they can reduce the cost cap for future years. They can be docked points that can be suspended for rounds, but the big heftier penalties like disqualification being kicked out of championships is for a major overspend. And I do have to say there's been a clip of Ross Braun doing the rounds from a few years ago when he said, if you fraudulently break the cost cap, you'll lose your championship. And people have been kind of sharing that around and stuff. It's important to note that I think that was the intention behind it. That was always kind of, the, you know, from the very beginning, they said, that's what we want it to be. Um, the difficulty there is in using that clip and circulating it and saying, look, this is what F1 said, is it's not an F1 budget cap. It's an FIA budget cap. And Ross Braun obviously works for Formula One. And the thing is, the F1 teams all signed up to the regulations that we have with these penalties. So while it, is, it will be frustrating if there's not, if you know, assuming this breach has happened, that there's not a consequential penalty, 
the team's also signed up for the regulations that the FA have around it. So it's going to be really interesting. And like you said, if, if the punishment's not heavy enough, I think other teams will turn around and say, well, we're just going to do the same thing. Um, and it's an important moment for the FA because people forget now, but in 2019, sorry, well, in 2019, Ferrari ran, as it turned out, a very illegal engine. You know, they were running an engine that didn't conform with the regulations. The start of the 2020 season, in pre-season, we got like a, a message just sent out kind of at the, at the end of a testing day. We've come to a, an agreement with Ferrari, a settlement behind, behind closed doors, and they were cheating. And you know everything, and everyone at the time was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hang on, wait, 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 like let's roll back a bit here." What <laughs> you know, like it was kind of it kind of, uh, and the thing it was, was very that, vague. It was so everybody vague. had questions. It was and so they, vague, they didn't... untransparent. And what actually in that case, I think, really saved the FIA and Ferrari's skin was that that happened beginning of March 2020. It was the talking point for about twelve hours in Australia, and then obviously and COVID results. happened, and then. You know, oh. and then COVID became the story. So suddenly Formula One doesn't happen for six months. You know, everybody, when they came back to race in Austria, were kind of just relieved, like, oh, we're back racing again. It meant that there was no real talk into that. But that's the last time the FIA had one of these situations and they completely hushed it up behind closed doors. They didn't, no one knows what that settlement was. Terrible look. So I think there's real pressure on them to get this one right. You know, you have to, you have to make a stand. I, I, I still think that Ferrari got away so easily, you know, for a team that gets paid, by to, to to compete in Formula One, you know they get a prize every year. So if the FIA turned around and did that again with another team, I'm not saying that they're going to make a settlement behind closed doors. But if they are seen to be not punishing somebody justly, then again it's another knock to that credibility. So we'll see what happens. I, as far as I'm aware, it'll be a few weeks at least until we know what punishments will be handed down. Because again, they've got to go through these processes. And and to be fair to the FIA, you know they're they're not rushing through this situation. It's the first budget cap. They're taking their time through it. I think the way they've communicated the day of the release has been terrible, but there's that's just the FIA in a nutshell. But I think that you'd rather they take their time on this and get it right than get it wrong. But the problem is, is will they get it right at the end of this whole thing? And I think a lot of people, maybe fairly at the moment, don't really have the faith that the FIA can do that. Because if you look at, and again, this is me ranting about the FIA, Katie. Sorry, just jump in if you want me to stop. But if you look at the win-loss column for the FIA in recent years, if you look at here's the things the FA have done brilliantly, here's the things they've not done well. I would say win column, and this has to be the first thing mentioned, is the halo. You know that 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 is probably one Save of the best life. achievements. Yeah, it, one of the best achievements in the in the history of racing. So massive, you know, massive tip of the, tip of the cap to the FA for that. That's huge. But it's hard to see what else goes with halo in the win column because there's not been a lot of other things. I would say that they've got right safety, brilliant. Like they've been fantastic on safety. But you look at all the other things you've got, Michael Massey. You have Suzuka Crane incident, you know, you have the Ferrari settlement, you've got this budget cap potentially going to this as well, but you have, you know, track limits, the penalties, the lack of transparency, you know, this VAR system that we heard about at the start of the season that really hasn't seemed to pay dividends. We haven't seen much from it. This this list is just getting longer and longer and longer of the FIA. You know, the, even the jewelry situation with Hamilton, you're just like, why yeah. are you spending all this time on, you know, does Lewis have a nose stud in or does he not? You know, it's it it's, it's wasted becoming, energy. Yeah, so it's becoming really difficult to continue to have faith in what the outcome is going to be. I hope that they get this decision right and that you know that it's a just penalty. But again, if there's not transparency, it's very difficult to know if the penalty is just. And if the penalty is not just, it's very difficult to have faith in the process going forward. So pretty, I think, pretty seismic moment for the FIA again, because this year really has been a really testing one for them. I'm not sure they've come out of it in the best way. It has, and... 
ask any team, ask any team principal, the more you spend, the better opportunity you have to win. I mean, yeah. there's no denying that. And that's 100%. why they tried to rein it in with a budget cap. And so it'll be interesting to see what those findings show in a couple of weeks time. Just really quickly lay on the table. What's at stake. I saw a public reprimand. I saw a deduction possibly in constructors or drivers championship points. I saw, um, you know, however much you breach. So say they spent $7 million or $6 million. Well, then that's going to be deducted from your, you know, available spending in 2023. So, so what's on the table for possible penalties for Red Bull? Yeah. So I've been told off the record by a few people that the chance of a staff losing his championship is almost nil here. You know, I think that that's the FAA has kind of taken that off and that, a lot of people want, as soon as they heard breach, they're like, well, that has to be the penalty. So as far as I'm aware, that's almost impossibly uh, impossible to happen. But yeah, I think okay. the cost cap redu- reduction is probably what you'll get. You're going to find and a reduction in the cost cap, which would actually be meaningful to Red Bull because, again, it would mean that those upgrades they want to bring later into a season wouldn't be there. You effectively, Red Bull and, Fer- uh, Red, uh, sorry, Mercedes and Ferrari would both know we've got X amount more than this, this team. The problem is, is that, F1 cars, it's not just a case of we spent more this year, so we won. So much of the development of these cars was done in 2021, has been done this year. It builds gradually. Toto Wolf made this point a few weeks ago. It builds year on year. And it's not like it's not like an NFL team where it's like, we drafted well this year, we got some good free agents in. This year we're going to be good. Oh, next year we're not because some of them left. You're building and building and building. I mean, it is, NFL teams do kind of do that as well, but it's easier to just fall by the wayside a bit. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know, from a from a kind of a, a philosophy behind the budget cap that works if you say Red Bull suddenly loses this amount. But the same token, other teams will say, well, no, because they've done all the development, that they're already way ahead of the rest. So reining them back now doesn't do anything. It maybe just brings them back para- to para- to a you know parity level. So I don't know. It's um it's really difficult to see. I think a fine and I, I don't feel the same as me, Katie, but when I see you know an athlete or a or a team find the these days and they say they'll say some number i'm like so like doesn't matter you know, it just it, it becomes Dropping an irrelevant figure even if even if a team would say oh we have felt the pinch here it just in the modern landscape fines just don't seem that meaningful even if they are so most people they're like oh a team, you know red bull especially as a company if they get fined a huge amount of money it might be damaging in the short term you know they might be like oh okay we have to fill these gaps here but let's be honest like and this isn't just a dig at red bull you know look you look at soccer teams you look at any team you know let's say I don't know, Dallas, Dallas Cowboys do something tomorrow and they say $100 million, fine. I'm sure Jerry Jones would think that's annoying. But he'll be like, okay, fine. <laughs> like we go again, you know. So again, I don't think fines, fines nowadays just don't seem to have the same sting. But we'll see. But those are, all those things you mentioned are, are what's on the table. And my hunch would be um, fine and a deduction from the cost cap because I think them taking points now off of Red Bull, I don't see how they do it without further damaging the championship. Even though that should be, that should be on the table, but I just don't think they've... They're going to make that cool. What do you think that they'll eat if they're going to have to rein in their <laughs> catering spending? Yeah, there's been a lot of memes going around about the the Red Bull catering budget, and um, I know I've got some. You know, some We're only know, joking. You know, pretty well at Red Bull. Yeah, well, I, I, I joked them. I was like, I was like, what are you guys going to eat at races next year? You know, and I, I always say, <laughs> well, what have that? you been eating at races? You know, have you been like wheeling out like these giant buffets? So, um, <laughs> you know, and, and to be fair to the, the people I know who have made those jokes too, they've taken it in good spirits. You know, they just kind of sent laughing emojis back, which, to be fair, doesn't mean they're laughing in real life. It might just mean they've sent that back to me and actually cursing at me over the phone. But, um, but yeah, you know, again, that's just such a silly outcome, isn't it? If if officially it comes out like, oh, it's a budgeting overspend, a, a budgeting overspend on catering. I think even if that's legitimate, people will turn around and say, come on, what's this about? So 
I don't know. It just seems it seems like we're heading to another silly political kind of nonsense few few weeks now. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but that seems always. to be where we're going. Yeah, Before pretty much we- always. Always, yeah. Before we go, uh, we always update you guys on the driver's market. So let's hit it real quick. So we do have news that Pierre Gasly is going to go to Alpine, which just naturally makes sense, right? And for him to join Esteban Ocon, uh, two friends who grew up racing together, aren't they from the same hometown? Not quite, but they're, but they're super close together. They're both from from the Normandy area, and they okay. actually grew up. There's a picture of them as kids karting together, and it's one of those remarkable things. I mean, they both said it. Not only did we both make it in karting, not only did we both make it to like Formula Two, not only did we both make it to Formula One. They've both won a race now. If you look at their stats, I can't remember them off the top of their head, but they've almost got identical race starts, wins, podiums, um, and now they're teammates at an all French team. It's 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 awesome. It's, a, it's an incredible story. Um, and I think for Gasly as well, I mean, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm so glad this has been confirmed because for about six weeks we've been saying, <laughs> we think Gasly's going to Alpine. So I was glad, A, we can now actually talk about that happening. And just check um, it off. Yeah, and say, finally, we've actually got something else to talk about. But yeah, it gets him free of that Red Bull program. And um, actually, it's going to be interesting. You know, he's he's out of that familiar setting now of Alpha Tower. You know, he really liked it there. He's going against a teammate who, I mean, Ocon is known for racing quite aggressively against teammates. He did it with Perez when they were both at Racing Point. And he's actually Fernando. held himself. He's held himself pretty well against Fernando Alonso, I'd say. Who, you know, I, I've talked about how I rate Fernando Alonso as one of the best drivers uh, in the world. So that'll be really interesting. Um, obviously, as well, it means Nick DeVries to Alpha Tauri, which you know mm-hmm. he's a junior. He's a Red Bull junior driver at the age of twenty-eight, which is a uh, good going. <laughs> <laughs> we can check Alpine off. Haas and Williams still have vacant spots left, so we'll obviously continue to monitor that. I did think it was interesting. You had kind of alluded to this the past couple of weeks of, you know, Ricardo maybe coming to peace with not being on the grid in 2023. He now admitted that he likely doesn't see himself on the grid. Just what did you make of him finally coming out and, and stating something like that? Yeah, it it has seemed more and more likely since, the, you know, the further we've got away from from him, uh, you know, the McLaren news that we had at the start of the, the second half of the season. I think, to be honest with you, I think that, Ricardo and you know the team around him were quite confident early on in Alpine, and then Alpine were quite set. Or at least you know the, the guys at the very top of the company were very keen on Gasly. I think that that idea of an all French team really appealed to them, which you totally understandable as well. You can see why you you know you get a fresh, young, um, exciting talent. And, and I think since then Ricardo looked at the landscape and thought, really, what can I do at Haas and Williams that elevates my career? You know, and I don't want to be. I don't want to sound like I'm putting those two teams down because I actually really like both those those teams. But sure. if you're a driver like Ricardo, you know, dropping to the back of the grid, it, it's very difficult to see how you can make a meaningful impact. And that's where this Mercedes reserve driver kind of chat has come from. Does he does he keep himself active in Formula One in that way? You know, keep himself. I mean, it's, it wouldn't be a bad situation, would it? You know, you're, you're getting constant feedback from Lewis Hamilton, but you're also giving Lewis feedback. You're working with George Russell. You're working with Toto Wolff. You're working with some of the best brains in the business. And if one of them can't race, suddenly. You're, you're a front-running car for a race weekend. So if you're looking at, if you're Daniel Ricciardo and you're saying, what gives me the best chance of kind of elevate. coming back, elevate myself, I don't think staying racing in 2023 with one of those available options is going to do that. Um, so I think it makes sense from that perspective. Obviously, the risk is that an opportunity doesn't open up. You know, we've seen sometimes people are set in their teams. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, very interesting situation. I think a shame he won't be around, but... Um, was maybe in five years. I mean, we, we Katie, you mentioned, didn't you, about the Lewis move to Mercedes a few pods ago. 
and everyone at the time thought, what's he doing? He's, you know, why is he, why is he doing this? Who knows? This could be something we look at in a few years with Ricardo and think, wow, what a, what a genius move that was to, to get away from you because this happened afterwards. You know, this kind It'll of fell together for him. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what happens. But um, I think the Mercedes thing is, is still on the cards. I think that could still happen. But yeah, he, he definitely won't be racing next season. So um, I think he's probably going to be on our TV screens a lot, you know, just doing different things. But um, yeah, in terms of racing itself, we won't see him doing that. Um, and I think a lot of IndyCar and NASCAR fans are ashamed at that, a, a, a bit kind of um, found out to be a bit of a shame because I think both wanted to see him him race there. And he'd be great for both series. But right. from what I understand, I think at this stage in his career, it's F1 on nothing for him. I don't, I don't blame him for that. So obviously we're hopeful that he makes his way back, uh, but certainly sad to see him go for next season. You're in the States. You're in Bristol, Connecticut. I, I, I got to tell you. I obviously work for the same company you do. That is not um, that is not the best place. Like if you're going to come to the states and visit, please don't yeah. start with Bristol, no. Connecticut. Well, start I somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm starting at Bristol, then I'm going to New York. So and then I'm going okay, to good. Dallas and then Austin. So so you know, I think I'm I think I'm getting not the worst bit out of the way, but the quieter bit out of the way first. Um, and yeah, Dallas and Austin. I mean, Texas is just great, and New York's fantastic. So um, some really exciting stuff actually that you know, we'll hopefully be able to share with people listening. Uh, when we do our next pod, which I think will be on location in Austin, if I'm not mistaken, which I'm absolutely, I'm super excited about. So yeah, a lot of, lot of exciting stuff coming up. And um, just to to close, I meant I meant to mention with Williams, Nick DeVries going to Alpha Tauri, I think almost certainly means Williams will go with uh, Logan Sargent, unless they they switch over to Mick Schumacher. So it could be a very that 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 whole you know movement could be really good for American race fans. So um, watch the space basically because Logan will be racing. Sorry, will be taking part in practice in Austin. Um, so yeah, awesome. he'll, he'll be able to kind of showcase what he can do to a, to a Texas crowd. So that, that should be pretty fun. When are you getting to Austin? I am getting to Austin Tuesday next week. So I'm going to Dallas, okay. um, actually going up to, um, the Schumacher family ranch in Texas on, on awesome. Monday and Tuesday for an event, which, you know, at the moment it's just, you know, the logistics of it are coming together, but that should be awesome. Um, and yeah, really excited about that. And then driving, driving down to Austin, which, I had my British cap on. I was like driving from one city to another. That that wouldn't be too bad. And it's like a four hour drive. So, you know, shame on me for doing that. Should have checked Google Maps beforehand. Uh, but I can make a few stops. You know, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's something between Dallas and Austin. I don't think there is much, but I can there's make some not. stops. No, I know I can make some stops at least. Maybe get some of those giant kind of coffee gulping cups that, that there are and oh, just gosh. turn up absolutely wide on coffee. Yeah, I'm going to turn up my eyes. It's going to be like big and bright, and you know. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, really fun week. And you're getting in. Later in the week, aren't you to, to Austin? Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I still right. got to iron that out. Yeah. So yeah. I'm excited such to see a great, you in person. Absolutely. Yeah, same. And such a great circuit, you know, for people listening. I can't wait. Um, I mean, you, you were blown away Miami. And I, I love I love the Miami race, but Cota, there's something about it just really special. You know, they've done such a great job there with the circuit, with, you know, the way they've kind of built this kind of home of F1 in, in America. Um, yeah, they deserve huge credit. So it's, you know, important not to forget what Coat has done for F1 in America. It's easy to look at Miami and Vegas, which are super exciting races. But to me, this is this is the race. This is the heartland race. This is the one that like that got the feet back in. You know, it got interest going again, and then Netflix was able to kind of come in and obviously do do its thing later. But yeah, Coat has Coat has been here for a while now, and I love it. I can't wait. Well, safe travels to all the different cities. I wish you the best. And I can't wait to see you next week. Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, remember. You know, like uh, on ESPN F1 and subscribe on YouTube if you want more F1 content and make sure that you give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we'll be live and in person for our next record of Unlap. Cheers. Cheers.